You're listening to the Purpose Driven Person Podcast. This podcast is made for leaders unwilling to give up their desires to be purpose driven. Guys, I made this show for a compass for you to have more purpose in leadership through four concepts creation, communication, collaboration, and connection in both business and in life. My name is Matthew Leland Cox. I'm the founder of Never Give Up Youth Healing Center, Never Give Up Wellness Center, and Never Give Up Foundation. You can find me at MatthewLelandCox.com. Are you ready? Well, let's do this. All right, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have our guest today. Edward, welcome to the show. This is exciting to have you on the show today. And we're going to be talking about some cool things, but also just some trials that you came over. You're going to be giving us some information on the recovery and just uh, your story. Tell us a little about, uh, give some, give the listeners a little background who you are, Edward. I always like to start there. Background. When you say background, are you interested in background of, uh, I mean, I, I think life, there's so many different levels to uh, uh, what, you, what you do. So are you talking about the stuff I overcame or are you talking about the stuff I currently do? Let, let's start with the overcome. I like to always start with the messy because, you know, life, it, it, people always see the success later. Give us a little about where you grew up, what, 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 how many were in your home. Give us start there. Let's start from all the way. Grassroots. Uh, the me- the messy. I grew up um, in neighborhoods. Uh, Twain and Palos Verdes. Um, so from Vegas. Then? Uh, I was born in San Francisco, oh, so okay. so I'm a San Francisco fan, uh, fan in all aspects of sports. Oh, all right. <laughs> you, San Francisco people. Yeah, Warriors, Giants, and uh, 49ers. Right. So uh, I grew up in Arville and Penwood, Twain and Palos Verdes, Kate, uh-huh. Katie and Cambridge, Flamingo and Spencer. Um, a lot of times I was the only white kid in the neighborhood. Now, what year was that? Because... Oh, man, we're going back to my teenage years. And then around high school, my highest grade of education was eighth. I never went to high school. But around high school, I got more associated with, with where my cousin stayed, which was more uh, North Las Vegas, oh. like uh, Cheyenne and MLK area, um, things of that nature. And I got involved in a lot of more North Las Vegas things around then. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I did, um, I don't know how to say it politically correct, but I grew up in neighborhoods with, that weren't predominantly white. Yeah, well, let, you know, talk about Penwood. Penwood, uh, I had an office right there on uh, Sirius, which is on the other side of Penwood. Now, this was just five years ago. Now, it was still pretty bad, but we didn't have any issues. But I imagine when you were in high school, uh, that used to be ran, like, that was the center of drugs, right? Uh, yes, we, we got our house raided at uh, 3 a.m., uh, oh, wow. We were all pulled out into, uh, I don't know if anyone knows Arvill and Penwood, but there's, there's an alley and there's the middle of the street. Um, we all got pulled out in our boxers at 3 a.m. Um, it was a very, very ugly scene. I had uh, friends, not necessarily myself. I, I, when I was handcuffed, I always complied. But uh, I had friends who didn't comply, and then it turned out even more uglier than just the, the raid that occurred. Um, Wow. You know, if I if I go back as far as I can remember, um, I remember back in the days when Mike Tyson's fights oh, were yeah. huge. Um, I remember my first experience with uh, substance use. It was alcohol. It was a Mike Tyson fight. I don't remember exactly what fight it was, 
but I remember uh, my dad gave me a drink of Crown Royal. So at six, I had uh, initially, you know, at the time, obviously, I didn't start using it at six, but that was my first um, induction to substance use. Wow. And so you grew up in Pinwood, and you said you only made it to eighth grade. When you say that, does that mean you just didn't go to school after that? So I was supposed to be in high school. Um, again, around around that time, I'm thinking I'm more North Las Vegas because it was supposed to be Shine mm-hmm. High School. They enrolled me, um, and then back then, you know, they didn't they didn't care too much about school as much as they do now. Oh, and uh, I went to go one day, and they told me, without notifying any parents, without anything, they told me they said, "Hey, you're a waste of a desk. We unenrolled you." Oh, dang. So they basically just said, get out? Um, yeah, and you know, and, and I have no, no problem against some of the things that occurred with the Clark County School District and the North Las Vegas Department, uh, Police Department. I mean, I was not by any means uh, an outstanding citizen. <laughs> but when I look back, like, because I work within juvenile justice, I work within the Clark County School District. When I look at evidence-based practices and I look at what works, and I look at some of the things that were done to me by teachers, that were done to me by police officers, um, it kind of sickens me. And I, you know, I think, how could you do that to a child, you know, rather than uh, maybe trying to empower? I remember I was brought into a class. Um, don't get me wrong, I did something wrong. Uh, and, and in front of the whole class, she said I was going to be nothing but a gangbanger and I was going to die in prison. Uh, I remember one time there was a North Las Vegas officer who would harass us regularly um, and ask us if we read up on our selling of drugs. And I had a, a new pair of Reeboks on. And I remember he stepped on my Reeboks and he said, does that piss you off? Um, you know, just things like that, uh, that uh, at a young age, I guess I just, you know, I already had a sense of I was dealt a raw deal. And then when I saw these adults, uh, you know, again, I wasn't a great person, but when they treated me that way, rather than trying to empower me, um, it just furthered my hatred and my, uh, you know, I always, I always say when now that I'm posted that, you know, it really came down to fear. I was just fear of trying to be a man who had no idea what he was doing. Yeah. So did, was school hard for you, like learning and, um, and doing all that in the classroom? Did you like the classroom or you avoided it? So in elementary school, again, I come from a very uh, poor family. Mm -hmm. Uh, I come from a very criminogenic family. I come from 100% addicts in my family. Um, In elementary school, I was accepted. I don't know if this program still exists, but I was accepted in the gate. And I remember my parents just you know, never cared to put me in it. Um, I would say I probably stopped trying in sixth grade. Mm. Uh, I always excelled at math. Um, but now, you know, nowadays, um, it's just basic math. Like, you know, I just understand the, the business aspect, you know, like mm-hmm. the decimals, the, the fiscals and, and things like that. But I look at my daughter, my daughter's in an academy and I look at her math and I'm like, I, I, I bought a tutor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's got that math has got hard, man. I don't even touch my nine year old math. But you know, this is interesting. As they're listening, Edward, it, you grew up in Vegas. You got introduced to substance at six. You're talking about, you know, poverty because I remember growing up too, where we, we, my dad passed, 
and we didn't have nothing. I remember I hate macaroni at this time in life. I'll eat it once in a while, but not my favorite because I think we lived on it growing up. Uh, you know, remember the welfare, they'd bring it over. We'd go to the, it was called welfare and you'd get these boxes of, and, and I think back then the macaroni had weevils in it. I don't know, you know, those little, yeah. you had to pull them out and then cook the macaroni because the little bugs would get into the boxes. Yeah, so we, we learned how to create macaroni like with ketchup and hot dogs. We had to be really innovative. I don't know if you have any cool stuff like that. So uh, as far back as I can remember, my so my my household parents, um, again, I, I left home very young, but my household parents, um, as far back as I can remember, they went to the bar. And uh, the food that they would bring home probably one or two in the morning would be bar food because they gambled so much, they drank so much. You know, they did so many drugs there, they would get free food. Obviously, it wasn't free. Um, but I learned really quickly, because the food was horrible, I, I hated it, uh, that if I took some Top Ramen um, and I took these uh, shitty chicken fingers and I chopped them up and I uh, mixed it all together, that uh, it was it was a decent meal. And then come later to find out, when I became an adult and I started getting incarcerated, I realized that I learned to make a prison spread before I even knew what a prison spread was. Yeah, wow. So you were, you, you got, you got a head start there, but you know, big thing is let's talk about that. Cause you know, after you went through all this in your adolescence and, and you're getting in now you have it, the listeners can't see it, but you have a lot of tats. Um, I, I understand in Vegas back then there was a lot more gang activity back then. Did you get involved in gangs or did not that? <clears throat> I caught my first criminal conviction at the age of 12. At the age of 12, I was already smart enough to know how to manipulate the system. So uh, my conviction was possession of stolen property because I knew how to shut my mouth and I knew that uh, to not incriminate myself. Uh, back then, um, and I don't like to get into details of what drugs I used or what crimes I committed. Um, I don't think it's important. I think we're all the same on a feeling based level. You know, it, does, it all comes down to fear, and it, it's either fear or love. That's my personal perception. But I got my first case at 12. Um, by then, um, if you look, you know, this is all public record. If you look up the name, you know, there's high-level trafficking associated with our family name. Um, by 13, I was in that. Um, and I think in Las Vegas, gangs are different. It's not like you get shot for wearing blue or you get shot for wearing red. Um, we considered it more of a family, um, and by 14, I was full-fledged into that, um, and by that time, I was moving significant amounts of substances. So, you know, listeners are listening. I'm, I'm just going to ask the question, because when they don't have any understanding of this, they just see it on TV, right? Uh, gangs, like uh, one I grew up with was Boys in the Hood, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's a perception. We think that's how gangs are. Right? Like you said, black or uh, uh, Crips or Bloods or whatever it is. But in Vegas, what you're telling them is that it's it's more of an organized situation. It's more of a family. You're pushing, you're trafficking, and that's that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, it's more of a, it's more of associates. Hmm. You, you you find a group of associates. They have the common goal. Um, don't get me wrong; you still have enemies, oh, yeah. but again, it's not like a it's not like a color thing. It's more like these are my associates. Uh, associates. These are my associates. 
These are who we get our stuff from. This is what part of town we um, utilize. And uh, if you mess with that, then you're against us. And don't come short, right? Uh, yeah. So no, it's not red or blue. It's more of, uh, you know, hey, if you want to be a part of this, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. Yes, there are things you have to do to be a part of it. You you, you don't just walk into this. You, uh, you know, uh, back then they called it getting quoted on, which means you, uh, you, you either had to do something or you had to take a beating for a certain amount of time. Obviously, the time frames count for respect to a certain amount of thing uh, to a certain higher entity, um, being a higher uh, family, things like that. Um, so it still has gang concepts. And back then, it's funny because I talk about this all the time. Back then, the era I grew up, there was still politics. Now, I don't justify gang life in any way, but we had things like you don't beat women. You don't sell drugs to children. Um, and now I work in juvenile justice and I see, it used to be an escalation, like a kid steal a candy bar and then he sells dime bags. And then, you know, maybe he steals a bike and it used to escalate slowly. Now in juvenile justice, you know, you see 14 year old kids murdering people for no reasons. There is no more. And again, actually, you know what, a little bit, I justify it because gangs are never going to go away and we have to learn how to coexist, but there's no more politics behind it. You know, there's no more governing bodies, right? Um, and that's why I think community empowerment is so important. That's why I'm so passionate about helping these kids. Like, there's no love in the game. Yeah. I could go back to the same streets I grew up on. I'm, I'm a grown man, and there's grown men in the streets still to this day because I help them. I, trust me, I've never abandoned anyone. I can go back and help these people, and they're doing the same shit we were doing when we were 14. Billy got shot. Jimmy got stabbed. Josh is going back to the penitentiary for the 18th time. They've now given him the Habitual Offender Act. You know, Susie got raped. It's all, it's, it, it, the game never ends. And it's, you know, it's the same cycle over and over and over. And it's just, you know, I'm, I'm so. so. So the question that, you know, you're talking about it, I can still see the passion in it is the pathology. You, you, it, you got led there because of the home life. You were saying mom, dad were addicts, they bring the bar food home. And then you got introduced when, who, who introduced you to this lifestyle? Was it a friend? Was, did you, did, you said you used to be kind of slowly, a little bit at a time. Was it just people you ran with? How did you get involved? Uh, I knew at a very young age, something was different, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I knew the way I lived was different from other people. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to name any names. Uh, I was more, I'm more of a person who, who keeps to a close crowd. You mm -hmm. know, I was involved with gang culture and there was a good amount of people in that gang culture, but there was only about, I would say no more than four people that I highly associated with. Um, I do have charges on my record that are not related to me. I was a very loyal person which let me tell you is very stupid because not one of them wrote me, not one of them gave me money, not one of them still, uh, I don't want to say thank me, but, you know, and I'm in the process. I'm actually like two weeks away from getting my record sealed. Uh, I'm going to district court next couple of weeks. So, so real quick, I want to jump on that. The loyalty, you hit it really hard. I don't know if anybody heard that. It's, it, it's the loyalty is good, but what 
the right amount of loyalty, where the loyalty lies, because you have a lot of good mentors today. Is the loyalty different today than what it was then? Like the, the type of loyalty, because you said they didn't write you, they didn't call you. The difference between loyalty and healthy loyalty and healthy mentorship, healthy mentorship is I mentor you with no strings attached. Mm -hmm. I do it completely for spiritual reward. I don't do it for a pat on the back. I don't do it for a post on Facebook. I do it genuinely because I care about you. If I call you, there's no reason why I call you. I just call you to say hello. Whereas from the gang lifestyle, there's always a motive. There, there, there's always a motive. You sell this for me, I'll sell that for you. We trade this, we trade that. We move this, we move that. Uh, you do that, I do this. Um, it, it's never... Uh, it's never a, a, a genuine care for the person. If they're calling you, there's an agenda by why they're behind why they're calling you, right? Um, I can even say as a juvenile, I'm not stupid. I was used because, uh, you know, I don't know who listens to this and I don't want to go too far, but as a juvenile, you don't get a lot of time. So guess who moved the packs? The juvenile. And that still happens today. Yeah. Absolutely, it still happens today. So this is interesting because I'm just asking the questions in a way of, because I don't know this lifestyle, you know, and, um, my, you know, I, I, I want people to understand what questions would they ask you if they could ask uh, Edward, because um, there's teenagers, there's parents here in Vegas and all over everywhere that they're scared. Is my kid getting involved? Is, is that happening? Because the story is you, you were just an innocent kid at the beginning. It wasn't like Edward just started getting into gangs right away. It was, you were put into an environment that kind of molded it from your parenting all the way to current. So let's jump over. I mean, you spent some time in jail a little bit. You, you got, you said you got your first eviction at 12. First conviction. And then you, how many times in and out of the local jails did you go in and out? Uh, 12 to 18. I was sent, I was sent to every juvenile program you could think of. They had life of crime. They had anything you could think of back then as a juvenile I got sent to. Um, as an adult, I've been to every uh, adult facility that they have back then. North Las Vegas Police Department had its own jail at the time. I know they're reopening it soon. Uh, City Las Vegas and then Clark County Detention Center. Um, I had a bunch of cases uh, open when I finally was given an opportunity to change my life. Um, we can go into that in more yeah. detail. Uh, basically... So what happened, and, and now when I look back at it, I, I'll tie this all together. Um, in the adult system, there's this thing called ohm recognizance. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're not a runner, they basically say, we'll let you out on your ohm recognizance, saying you agree to come back to this court date. And again, not because I was an upstanding citizen. I just never wanted extra charges. So when I was caught, I was caught. I never ran. I never fought. I just said, okay, thank you. Take me to jail now. It actually got to a point so bad that my attorney said, stop telling to take you to jail because it's, it's, it's a type of an admission of guilt. Um, <laughs> so he said, stop saying that, uh, getting off track. But what happened is, you know, I, they would pick me up on my warrant and do my little six, I'd do my little six months, nine months, a uh, little three months, 10 days, whatever it was, credit for time to serve. Uh, it got to a point where I had a North Las Vegas case for some possession um, 
that was an active warrant for a six-month sentence. I had a searchlight case that was an active warrant for a six-month sentence. I had a district court case that was an active warrant for a two to five prison sentence. And then I had this stupid case. I call it stupid because it was a misdemeanor. So comparatively to these other cases, it was my smallest case. Um, and it was not an active warrant. And uh, I remember I showed up to court that day and uh, that's, that, that's never my MO. I, I never showed up to court. And I remember this judge, he asked me, he said, can you pass a drug test today? And I said, sir, uh, no way. He said, well, why would you use drugs knowing you had court today? And I said, sir, I was going to use drugs whether I had court or not. And he said, thank you for your honesty. I'm going to lock you up. And uh, so because I always thought I was a big badass, um, I get sent to 23-hour lockdown because, uh, you know, I was a, a very violent person. Um, that goes back to the past and blah, blah, blah. Um, so when I'm sitting in that 23-hour lockdown cell, man, I'm thinking to myself, how stupid am I? Because I'm doing, I'm doing the math in my head. So I'm looking, I'm like, it's going to be three to seven years. I was 22 when this happened. So I thought, oh, my God, I'm not going to get out. So I'm 28, 29, I'm like my life's over. Um, but what happened is I sat, I sat there for about 30 days. They came and asked me if, they want, if I wanted a program. Um, and I was, I, I was open-minded. I didn't know if I wanted to change my life. Um, you know, I didn't know if rainbows and lollipops were going to, you know, you know, fall out the sky. Uh, I knew bologna sandwiches tasted like shit. And, uh, you know, that was my first motivation for change. Um, so I got released in shackles on, uh, there used to be, uh, I call them halfway houses. It was actually a homeless shelter and they had bed bugs on the wall, by the way. So it was a nice living facility with nice living arrangements. <laughs> and uh, so what happened is I got released there and then about 30 minutes later, North Las Vegas detectives came and picked me up on another case. Um, so I sat for about 60 days and then this uh, original judge who uh, I went to uh, unknowingly, he got all my stuff put back on calendar and it, it was at a point when I finally got released from all these places and was back at the halfway house, I was put in two drug courts and I was on papers for the state. And uh, I remember specifically, uh, I won't say his name, uh, it was a probation officer and he said, there's absolutely no way you're gonna finish this. So you might as well get ready to go to prison. Yeah. And uh, I, think nice that, I think that was the most motivating thing anyone ever said to me. Cause you tell an addict they can't do something. I said, okay, you mother. I'm going to show you. <laughs> I think that's Edward. <laughs> that's Edward. Yeah, addicts would say, okay, but Edward was stubborn. So that's good. So he, he hit a button somewhere, right? Cause yeah. that sounds like that's been your MO. If somebody's told you, you can't do something. You, you, you push it. And, and, um, th this is interesting because then you, you told me when we were chatting pre previously, now let's move to the turning point. Cause there was, it was, I love this part of this story because Tell them about it because it was all over a can. This is funny because I asked you, what made you turn the quarter? Because you've been doing this since you were eight, right? This is the way of life. This yeah, is yeah. what Edward oh, was this doing. Is, this is what I knew. I mean, and, I knew, I knew the, the, the recipe to cook yeah. meth by the age of 12. Yeah. So by the age of 12, you're, you're cooking yeah. meth. You know what to do. You're running. Um, you knew that's just part of life, in and out of jail. You, you got caught up in the system. You're like, oh, here we go. This is what I was waiting for. So tell us about that story, because that's just, that's awesome. 
Um, so what had happened, and again, you know, when I, when I talk to my mentor nowadays, you know, he relates it. I'm a very structured person, and a lot of it falls back to, you know, there's not necessarily bad qualities from the street life. You can take good qualities if you apply them in the good areas. Become good salesman. <laughs> uh, so so I, I was very criminogenic, so I followed direction, right? I didn't know if I wanted to change my life, but I was open-minded to do what these people were telling me. Um, and I remember it specifically one day. I was uh, I was walking up the curb at the halfway house, and uh, there was a soda can on the ground. And I bent down and I picked this soda can up, and I threw it in the trash can. And it was literally a two-second ordeal. Uh, feels like time stopped, but I remember thinking to myself, "Holy shit, I'm changing." And the feeling I got from doing the right thing, because because you got to remember, my name was associated with dog stuff, you know, like. People heard my name, people avoided me because of robberies, uh, people, people's girlfriends didn't like them around me, uh, it just, just all out, just my name was garbage. And I remember when I threw that can away, it felt so good. It was so much better than any intimidation. It was so much better than selling any drugs. It was so much better than any of that false perception that I thought was manhood. And I was like, man, I really like this. Um, so then from there, I mean, again, it wasn't a miraculous parting of a Red Sea, but from there I started priding myself on little things. I would start using crosswalks. Uh, at the time I smoked cigarettes, I don't anymore. I put my cigarettes away in an ashtray. I put my cart away and, uh, you know, I work with kids and, and they always ask me why I'm so hard on them. And, and this is why I drive integrity because, you know, at the end of the day, you could strip me of everything, man. You can strip me of my house. My wife can leave me, my dog can kill over, you know, my wife can take the kids, my car can get repoed. And I guarantee you within time, I'll be right back where I was. And that is because I have internal freedom and my integrity is something that no one can ever take away from me. All that external stuff, that's all, that's all a facade. None of that means nothing. It's what is inside your heart that matters the most. And that's what I pride myself on. And that's what that soda can did for me. Um, I know it's an insignificant moment for anyone who had ever thought about it. But for me, it was just the pivotal point of like, I want to change my life. But here's the thing is simplicity. Things come into the smallest things. Like when I changed, um, I, I, my story a little bit too is as a recovery story. I was I was uh, a young kid that same you know poor family had those things. Got into drugs. I overdosed, um, and so and it was funny. It was on marijuana. People don't realize that it's called comatose. You know, if you use anything too much, it's not a good thing. And sorry, Canvas users, but yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter because your system will shut down. Yes, and. Um, and I just remember, you know, wanting to change too. And it was a simple thing like that, like that can. That's why it was so cool when you told me the story because it was just somebody said, I always knew in the back of my head when I was running with the wrong crowds and, and doing things, I just knew there was something greater. I just had this feeling, I don't know if you had that feeling that we're just meant to do something greater, right? And I remember sitting there uh, as a teenager and I just, I, I hadn't prayed for a long time. And I just, you know, I don't, you, those that are not spiritual, you're just going to have to take a break for a minute. But I just remember sitting down and and I, I just said, hey, I need help because I want to get out of this life. 
And I, I remember the next, that event happened. And when it, it was three days later, I woke up in my friend's basement. Uh, you know, go figure. Yeah, I remember going, oh crap, what happened? He goes, oh yeah, you you were non-responsive. You wouldn't. And I was like, why? Why didn't you take me to the hospital? He goes, I didn't want to get in trouble. Sounds familiar, right? Like what you're saying, they, they got your back, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And so the the big thing that came from that is I just had no desire after that. I, I didn't smoke anything anymore. I didn't do anything. You can call it what it is, right? Like a can. It's that yeah. simplistic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I just I had no desire to use anymore. And, and I remember trying it one time uh, and I threw up. I was like, okay, I get it. All right, I'm done. Yeah. And um, that was it. That was, I was, I think, 16, never touched anything ever again. You know? yeah. And um, and it was, but, but I'm coming back to the can because people don't realize that turning point can be just as simple as a can. It's the symbol behind it, right? So you're telling me internally, it's all about values your value was just something simple by taking a can and respect, right? Mm-hmm. Respecting the environment. Cause when you're, when you're going in and you're causing so much havoc mm-hmm. and you're causing so much damage, you, you don't really care for those around you. But you said you started slowly started having integrity. I mean, that's huge is values. I mean, you're now let's, let's go to the success story. Cause the part of the story is cool is now you get through all this, the same mentor you get, put into a situation, you become a drug counselor. That, that's crazy. You go from all this stuff that's happened, Edward, and you end up being a drug counselor. How the heck did that happen? Um, you know, well, well, I want, I want to add to the change yeah. part for a second. Um, and it, and it'll, it'll tie into, you know, how I became a drug counselor. You know, I think, um, and th- this is not just for people in recovery. This is for everyone. I mm-hmm. think this is applicable. I think I, I'm more of just a, a leadership type guy. I don't care if you use drugs. Everyone could benefit from doing something better. And change, people believe that change is this miraculous, huge gap that has to happen. And oh my God, you know, it's never going to happen for me. Change is literally throwing a can in the trash can. Change is little things done consistently over long periods of time. And then one day you wake up and you look back and you're like, Oh my goodness, I've made change. Now to tie it into how I became a counselor, um, I started doing, so I, I completed all my programs. And by the way, shout out to my probation officer. I petitioned the court and I got released from probation early. I was supposed to be on probation five years. I got released at 1.5 oh, years. the same one that said you would never <laughs> I would it. never make it uh, <laughs> 1.5 years. Hey, I was supposed to be there five. <laughs> I didn't get told that side note is I got told by a teacher I'd never graduate high school or college and I have a master's on them all there. So I did it. And, and uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, I don't know if we're getting off topic, but I was an eighth grade dropout and uh, I'm in my master's program now. It took me, again, we talk, we're talking oh, kind of yeah. about change right now. It took me eight years That's to get insane. my bachelor's degree. This is how bad it was. I didn't have the internet until two years ago, and I was on an online program. I would put my three kids to sleep. I would drive to Starbucks, and I would steal their Wi-Fi and do my homework, right? If you want something bad enough, this it. is why I don't take people's excuses. And this Amen. is why I'm so hard on the clients that I work with. If you want something, right? I hate school, absolutely hate it. But you know what I love? I love fucking helping people. So my desire to help people is greater than my hate for school. So I sat in that Starbucks parking lot because I had no internet 
and it took me eight years to get that bachelor's and I got it done and now I'm in a master's program. You know, it was slow, slow, consistent. You know, time is going to pass one way or the other. Yeah. And, it, and, and, it, and I'd rather do something productive while time passes. Yeah. I'd rather wake up 40 with a master's than wake up 40 with nothing. I agree 100%. Yeah. So to tie that into how I became a counselor, sorry we got off track. No, there. you're good. good stuff. Um, Really what happened is I started volunteering um, with the programs that saved my life. And uh, from there, uh, the, the judge who sentenced me, he asked me for my, uh, he asked me for my resume. Cause I was flipping burgers. I was flipping burgers at state line. I used to have to take a bus all the way there five days a week to state line um, um, for minimum wage. And uh, he knew I didn't like that too much. So he asked me for my resume. I didn't know for what. And uh, he ended up getting me a, uh, a counselor assistant uh, job. And that's kind of where, uh, you know, I started doing assessments, screens, things like that. And I started learning about the field. Um, and uh, from there, uh, you know, it just, it started taking off. I got in school um, and then, you know, eventually uh, I really liked the facility I worked for. I stayed there for three years. This was the first facility I worked at. Mm -hmm. um, but they were high-end clients, and I'm more of a, you know, I want the convicted felon, yeah. hopeless type. And uh, from there, that's when I got into, uh, you know, the adult corrections and then the juvenile justice system and uh, both. And, and, and this is not just professionally, because I also believe you can't get your recovery at work. What I do for work does not uh, count as my spiritual reward. Yeah. I also do this personally, so I do it professionally and personally. Um, and, and that's just kind of how it took off. The, the same judge who sentenced me, um, and this, this is how I tie it all together. Um, whether you believe in God or not, I don't care what you call your God. It could be Allah, it could be Buddha, it could be that doorknob, it could be Christ, it could be whatever the hell you want it. So don't take the word God and take it negatively. But this is how I know God always has a bigger picture. I never showed up to court. Now the person I look to as my father figure and I talk to daily and as my mentor is that same judge who sent me to a 23 hour lockdown. Yeah. And if it was not for me showing up to court that day, I would not be the man I am today. So when I look back, I'm like, I'm like, oh, you're a funny guy, God, I see you. I see what you did there. You tied it all together for me. And I can give you countless situations. Maybe people will call it coincidences, but if it's a coincidence, man, I sure got a lot of coincidences in my life. Yeah. Well, I, I push, I push back too with you. Cause I think I'm in where I'm at because of those little events. Cause you know, looking back and I'm just going to look at what you've done. You've helped so many youth and adults uh, get into where they need to be. You didn't, you didn't do it for them. Cause I always say the same. I think me and you believe that I'm not going to work harder than you. Um, but you guided them. You were a good mentor and you says, Hey, it's going to be tough and I'm not going to be easy on you. Um, but Edward, if you weren't there, those people wouldn't have had the, maybe, maybe we don't know, but I think that's what God was using you in that one little act of picking up a can saying, Hey, I'm going to teach you something big on something small, right? Like you said, the small little things adding up to big things. I look back and go, Holy smokes, a short bus kid that couldn't read or write was told that I wasn't going to do anything. I, I mean, I look back and say, wow, this is not me, man. I, I didn't, I, I, everything I have is not mine. It's just, I, it's, it's dumbfounding. So what you've done is, is 
is huge. So let's talk about what you've been doing as a career. This, this mentor, this father figure helped you get to where you're at with some guidance. Now, what are you doing? Where are you at right now? Because um, I want you, as we're summing up here in the show, I, I also want you to leave some really strong advice for parents that are scared if their kids are doing all these things, what they can do. So tell us what you're doing and then let's go into advice and what you think you can help with. So what I do for my daily routine, and this this is my routine. I think there's no one pathway, you know, like Matt said. He he woke up in a basement, and that was it for him. Yeah. You know, I, I woke up in tons of basements before it was it for me. <laughs> I woke up in tons of jail cells before it was it for me. Um, you know, so again, you know, and, and, and the national definition uh, is there is no, no one pathway to recovery. Um, so what I do... I journal every morning and every night. Now, you can get that same benefit from talking, but I am more, you know, like I said in my gang life, I didn't like a lot of people. So I'm not, I'm not a big speaker, which is ironic considering the job I do, <laughs> but I write and I try to keep it, I try to keep it focused. I don't use negative words. So I say, I always look at one thing I can improve on for the day and one thing I did positive for the day. And I do that every morning and night. Uh, I meditate. Uh, I don't do long ones. I do anywhere from five to 15 minutes. And, I, and that allows me to start my day off on the right foot. And then we all have emotional energy. So when I go through my day, when I come home, that meditation allows me to decompress that emotional energy. Um, in the morning, um, because I also do, I'm getting a little older. I suffer, I suffer from chronic pain. So uh, I, I do a lot of stretching now. Um, because I, I don't, I'm not a fan of medications. I'm not saying that I'm not condoning Same. them or not condoning them. I'm not saying it one way or the other, consult with your physician. Um, but I like to stretch, um, and then physical fitness, man. I mean, that oh, is, big into it, yeah. that is like my spiritual, when I am in the gym and I just hear them weights clang and there's something about it that I'm just in my spot. And then the last thing is service work. Mm. Right? Because even me, I might, you might say, oh, he's in such a great spot. Everyone has problems. But when you're helping someone else, it is so hard for you to be consumed with your problems when you're helping another person with their problems. You're not thinking about your stuff while you're helping someone else. So those are the, the basic things I do. Any advice I would have for a parent who struggles is two things. One is accountability. Addicts need accountability. Now, this is hard because you love your kids. You want the best for them. But I will tell you, if things are soft, right, if you keep, okay, this is the analogy I like to use. How does a kid learn the stove is hot? He has to burn his hand. Now, if you're constantly blocking his hand from getting burned, he is never going to learn that that stove is hot. So there has to be an accountability factor. And there has to be firm boundaries. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to give you $20 to go to the movies. No, because I know you're going to go buy drugs. So boundaries and accountability are the two biggest things that I, uh, I drive home for families. And I also teach a group. It's my favorite group to teach. I'm a very hands-on person. And it's addiction as a disease and the five roles. And maybe we'll save that for another show because that's going into a whole nother topic. I love it. Let's do it. And then, you know, it's funny you say boundaries because a lot of times um, when they say the stove, I had an experience where my son was wanting to touch the current and his mom was 
keep telling him that it was hot. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. And then she, he touched it and he got burned. He never did it again. And that's the same concept as I think sometimes as parents, we want to rescue our kids and keep them from falling, which is a normal thing as a parent, right? You want to protect them. But in, when they're in deep, like we, we've been talking about, like when you see the signs and, and that's, before we go, can you tell the parents, what are some signs if their kids are in gangs or if they're running or they're using drugs, what are some things they need to look for and get help? When, when is the signs showing? Um, I mean, this, I, I'm not going to lie. This is a hard question to answer over the radio. Um, different, ha uh, and, and actually, uh, I'm going to go ahead and plug it. We actually have a webinar coming up here soon and it's, and it's the trends of LV, L, uh, Las Vegas drug trends and, and gang culture. Um, there's hats that mean different meanings that mean different um, gangs. Uh, there's colors. Um, there's associates. There's tattoos. If you're seeing a lot of the number 13 and your kid's Hispanic, that's most likely meaning he's, he's either Nevada Trace, he's either Southsider. The 13 stands for the letter M, which is paying homage to La M A. If uh, your kid is Hispanic and wears red and likes the number 14, he's most likely associated with a Norteño um, because the 14th letter of the alphabet is N and they're paying homage to Norteños. Um, the, you know, the black gangs, uh, there's different areas of town too. The West side is typically known for uh, blood areas. Um, North Las Vegas is typically known more for the crip areas. Um, but again, a lot of that gets messed nowadays. And I've seen working with juvenile justice, so many people just uh, associate with different things. So I would look for clothing. I would look for tattoos. I would look for numbers. I would look for symbols. And what you really want to look for is if they're wearing it consistently. Yeah. Like right now, I got a San Francisco hat on. But, you know, tomorrow I, I, I have a, a Christianity hat I might be wearing, you know. But if, if your kid is wearing, um, you know, a hat that has an S on it and he wears that hat almost seven days a week, there's, there's probably a, a deeper connection to why he's wearing that hat. Or if he only wears blue, gray, and black, there's a deeper connection to why he's only choosing those three colors. Um, you know, so, I mean, it would be hard. I could, I could mm -hmm. probably do a whole 60, 90 minute session on, on teaching you gang culture um, and, and different stash spots within clothes and all those things. But a simplistic thing is look for things he's doing repetitively, mm -hmm. things out of the ordinary, things that aren't, think of, think of your child when your child was a real young child, and then think of the child you're looking at, and are they doing things that are out of the ordinary from when mm -hmm. they had a younger worldview? Yeah, that's good, and I think the big message too is just pay attention, because we get busy, we get overwhelmed, especially with what's going on with all the stuff in the world right now, uh, parents are stressing about other things, you know, so how, how do I stress about both? And so it's just having that. Edward, it's been awesome, man. This is good stuff. I love your story. I love the turning point, the can. I'm going to call it the can story. That simple can that turned around your, but it's it's those main main things. We're going to have you come back and we're going to talk about more in depth. You, where, where can they get, is this seminar that's coming up? Is that for everybody or is that it is, it is going to be a free, uh, it's going to be a webinar. I think there yeah. might be an in-person component depending on uh, where we're at with the state. Um, I know, I think it got pushed back to August. We were going to do it this July. 
there'll be more coming out with constant contact uh, our list if you, if you want to get in contact with Matt um, or me uh, we're gonna we're gonna be putting it out there it's gonna be mid-August and it's gonna be LV drug trends uh, I'll give you a little clip we already got a grow operation we've already gone into some of the dispensaries uh, we've gone into some of the smoke shops and got them to show us some illegal stuff so uh, we got some good we got some good stuff already. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of we're still in the process of putting it together and making sure we uh, put it out at the right time. Yeah. So, is, how can they get a hold of you? Just to, as we're going out, is there any way? Do you have a Facebook, LinkedIn? What do you? Where, where can they get a hold of you? Okay. So let me tell you. Uh, my Facebook is Edward Kovacs the third Roman numeral three. Love it. And. My email is Edward Kovacs Consulting, E D W A R D K O V as in Victor, A C S Consulting at gmail.com. And my phone number is 702-473-0442. That is 702-473-0442. And don't just think. You have to call me on a professional basis. I live and breathe this stuff. If you just have questions, yeah, reach out to me. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for being on the show today. And we're going to have you back. We're going to be doing a lot of work. And this is exciting. So if you've heard this, this is a great understanding that don't give up on those around you. One simple mentor can change a life. I, I, I feel that's why I just am passionate about mentoring. Because it's not a matter of when, it's, 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 a, it's like a mustard seed. If I continue to prune, they just might not be ready right then. And I'm so grateful for your mentor. He changed your life by just doing something simple. Um, and so bless his heart. I hope he, he understands how big it is. And we're going to be having Edward back on the show. So again, if you have any questions, visit our website. Go to Facebook, join our group, and also... Uh, go over to iTunes and join the feed and also give us a five-star review. If any of this really resonated today, give us a comment and we're excited. And always remember as you're out there pushing along purpose-driven, make sure you don't give up on yourself and those around you. Until next time, guys, take care. Hey guys, thank you for listening to the Purpose Driven Person podcast. Something I said today resonated with you. Head over to my website. I would love to give you a free gift to download, but you can also email me at purposedrivenperson at gmail.com. And don't forget to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And remember, guys, always continue to push your dreams and never give up. I'll see you next time. Take care.